together and have this time to study in this part of our worship. Genesis chapter 50, 22, if you'll notice with me, Genesis chapter 50, verse 22, we're going to talk about the four tests of life, four tests. We're going to let Joseph of old, Joseph of Genesis, we're going to let Joseph be our guide as we contemplate the four tests of life. Four tests of life. A lot of great patriarchs of old, but there's more space given to the life of Joseph than any of the rest. And so we'll notice this together. In the first place this morning, let's consider that Joseph stood the test of time. The test of time. You go back to Genesis 37 and look at verse 2. We see that Joseph there is 17 years old. And you compare that way over to Genesis 50 verse 22. When Joseph dies, he's 110 years old. And so we're first introduced to him at 17, and he remains faithful all the way to the very end, 110 years old. I believe it's chapter 41 and 46 that when Joseph appears before Pharaoh, he is 30 years old then. He's 30 years old. But he remains faithful all the way to the very end. 110 years old. If you'll notice that you begin reading about Joseph in Genesis 37. And you get through reading about Joseph in Genesis 50. There's about 13 chapters devoted to the life of Joseph. 13 chapters. And I'm going to suggest this to you. These are 13 chapters without a sin committed by Joseph. Thirteen sinless chapters. Now I know that Joseph is human. He was a great man. He, he was not perfect. But when you look into these chapters, rarely, if any, do you see any sin committed by Joseph. This is remarkable. There are other faithful older patriarchs of, of old time that were faithful, but their sins um, stick out to you. Uh, we remember in Genesis 9 and verse 21 that when Noah came off the ark, he became a man of the soil. He planted a vineyard, and what happened? He got himself drunk, and he uncovered his own nakedness. We remember Abraham, great, great man of faith, but he and Sarah, Genesis 16, they conspired. They kind of gave up on God's word and God's promise, and they conspired and came up with this little plan that involved Hagar, the handmaid of, of Sarah. And Abraham went into Hagar and, and had, uh, had children. And that's not good. But Abraham's a faithful man, but his sin stands out. We don't, we don't read anything like this about, about Joseph. You know, we read about Moses, also a man, great, great man, great man of faith, meekest man on all, in all the earth. But Moses, we remember Moses, he struck the rock in Numbers chapter 20. He struck the rock instead of speaking to it like God 
God said he became angry and struck, struck that rock and had many other faults as well. First Samuel uh, 3 and 13, remember Eli, a very faithful man of God. But uh, one glaring sin that he had was that his own sons blasphemed against God. And he didn't do anything about it. He didn't try, he didn't try one iota to try to restrain his sons. And that was a glaring sin against him. We remember David, a man after God's own heart. But we know about his sins with with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite and so forth. Solomon was a man and people came from all over the earth to hear, hear his wisdom and to see his great riches. But wow, 1 Kings 11 and verse 4 talk about his wives, all his wives and concubines and how they turned his heart away from God to, to idols. But here's, here's Joseph. Here's Joseph. He stood the test of of time. You know, it is one thing to be able to have the faith to overcome in a crisis or to have stand up against something that's wrong in a temporary sense, but it's another thing, and this is what God expects, but it's, it's another thing to be faithful all the way through, all the way to the very, very end. That's what God expects, isn't it? In the New Testament, we read in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Paul saying, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And Paul said it like this in Colossians 1 and 23. Colossians 1, 23. He says, You need to continue, continue in the faith and being grounded and rooted and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. This is what God Expects. He expects us to be faithful all the way through, all the way down to the very end. And this is what Joseph uh, did. He, he stands out to us as a man who stood the test of time. It is very possible toward, in the latter, latter years of our lives, it is very possible to lose our way with God. It's very possible. Many do this, and it's very sad. Many lose their way with God in the latter years of all times. In the latter years. If you want to, look at your Bibles in Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18, just to show that this weakening in the latter years actually uh, is a danger. In Ezekiel 18, this very thing is being discussed. And if you look down to verse 24, particularly... Notice what he says. He says, But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live? None of his righteous deeds that he has done shall be remembered. No. For the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin that he has committed, for them he shall die. But notice the next verse. Someone might say, well, the way of the Lord is not fair. It's not just. Hear now, O Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that's not just? When a righteous person, and notice this, God's going to repeat himself. Okay. Repeating yourself does not mean you've lost your mind. It means you need to emphasize certain things. Verse 26, God repeats himself. When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. 
for the injustice that he has done, he shall die. Sometimes we lose our way. And when we lose our way, notice in God's sight, God's mind, that all the righteous deeds that we may have done earlier, none of them are going to be remembered by God at all. Why is it that we sometimes lose our way even in the latter years of life? Well, let us make a couple of suggestions here. It may be that we begin listening to other voices more than the voice of God. Paul encountered this in Galatians 5 and verse 7. Galatians 5 verse 7, he asked a question to some of his brethren. He said, he said, you are running so well. Who has hindered you from obeying the truth? Notice what he says. You are running so well. You are doing so good. But somebody, who? Who is this, Paul saying? Who has stepped into your life? Whose voice are you now listening to? Galatians 5 verse 7. So it could be that even in our older years, we begin to listen to other voices more than the voice of God. Sometimes we lose our way in the latter years because we become so preoccupied with the past. Okay. The past. The past, is all, the past can do nothing wrong. You know, that which has happened in the past, you can't scrutinize that. Okay. It's already done. It has, the past has done nothing wrong. Okay. And sometimes we become, you know, any of you remember the old Bruce Springsteen song, Glory Days, Boring Stories of Glory Days? And we can become preoccupied with the past. Paul says in Philippians 3, 12 to 14, he says you need to forget those things which are behind and stretch forward to, to, to the mark of Jesus Christ, the high calling of Jesus Christ, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, he says. I think the main reason that we would lose our way in our latter years is a simple lack of personal examination, personal responsibility. I say that because this is what is brought out in Ezekiel 18. Okay. This is what Ezekiel, this is what God is dealing with in Ezekiel 18. If you look in Ezekiel 18, the first few verses, they had created a proverb and the proverb went like this. The father's have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. And so what are the children doing? We're not talking about little kids here. We're talking about grown-up people who are now experiencing some challenges in life, and they're blaming, they're blaming the generation before them. Okay? They're blaming their moms and dads or their, or their grandpas. They're spreading the word like this. Someone else has eaten sour grapes and our teeth is being set on edge. In other words, our problem is not our problem. Our problem is, 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 is somebody else's problem. It's the old blame game, but in nowadays, the blame game is, is not just a trend. It's not just a game. It has become a way of life. And it has come right into the Lord's church as well. What, how do we respond to something? How do we respond to anything? Find someone to blame. That's what we do. We find someone to blame. Blame, 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 blame. And that is the shame of our day. 
And this is exactly, it's not new. Okay, there's nothing new under the sun. And this is not new, but it is something that rears its head often. It's one, it's one of Satan's greatest tools that he uses against us. And this is what's happening in Ezekiel's day, and it can certainly happen to us. We see Joseph then, the first test of life here, is standing the test of time. Standing the test of time. All right, our second test this morning is standing the test of temptation. We go back to Joseph. We go back to Potiphar's house. You remember Potiphar's house. Joseph ends up in Potiphar's house. Genesis 39, he's in Potiphar's house. He's been sold uh, by his brothers to a band of Ishmaelites who sold him somehow or another to Potiphar's house. And Potiphar is, is uh, one of the chief uh, workers for Pharaoh himself. There Joseph is. And Potiphar's wife, she come on strongly in a sexual way to Joseph. Genesis 39, first several verses there. And Joseph refused. See, he stood the test of temptation. He refused. In other words, he said no, and he really meant what he said. When sin comes at us, it is not a time for discussion. We don't, he didn't say, let's go sit down and talk about it. It was not a, it's not a time to talk about it or discuss it. Or why are you feeling this way? He said no to her. Now, what is revealed here is what we sometimes call the seductive measures of the flesh. In other words, what are things that people use to try to seduce another person? There are things of our bodies that people will use to try to seduce another person to get them to do what they want them to do. Potiphar's wife is doing that to Joseph. If you'll notice that day by day she would speak to him. She would speak to him. In addition to that, every day she was casting her eyes upon him. And then eventually she took her hands and she reached out and touched and grabbed Joseph. Now notice what is often used to seduce another person. Eyes, words, which includes ears, and then hands. And she would wait until nobody else was in the room. And this was her method of trying to take Joseph down. This is a very dangerous environment for young people and for any of us to be in a room with someone who has, um, who has evil ways in mind. And if the eyes are being cast in a certain way, the hands are being used, some words are being used, And you're all alone. And there's some thoughts behind all of these eyes and words that are being used. And you're all alone. That's a very, very dangerous environment. And most men cannot survive that. Most young boys and young girls cannot survive. They will do something wrong. But Joseph passes 
he passes this test of temptation. You see, some operate on the idea that the deeds of the body do not affect the condition of the soul. You hear that all the time. A, a movie star or a sports star will do something wrong and they'll say, well, that's not him. That's not really, that's not him. That's not truly him. That's not truly her. You know, well, Satan uses our bodies to, to get to our souls. Absolutely, the deeds of our body affect the condition of our soul. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, in verse 11, I believe it is, 1 Peter 2, 11, he says, abstain from fleshly lusts which are able to war against the soul. Yeah. The things that we do with our flesh, with our bodies, can, can infiltrate. It can get to our soul. That's, that's the, the soul and the body are definitely connected. But before we think that we're all high and mighty, before I begin to think, well, I'll never succumb to any kind of sexual uh, encounter like that, let's remember that the works of the flesh are more than just sexual encounters. Okay. Glance with me, if you will, to Galatians chapter 5. Notice the works of the flesh. Galatians 5. Before I begin to think too highly about myself, you know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I better look at closely all the different works of the flesh. When I get down here in Galatians 5, verse 19, Paul says, now here are some of the works of the flesh. And he, he mentions, now look, look here, verse 20. He mentions enmity and strife and jealousy, and fits of anger, and rivalries, and dissensions, and divisions. Right there it is, Galatians 5.20. And Paul also has a similar list in Romans chapter 1. In verses 28 through 32, he has a list of all manner of unrighteousness, covetousness, malice, some being, being full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness, their gossips and their slanderers and their haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient, foolish, faithless, and heartless, heartless, strife. The works of the flesh are manifest. The, the works of the flesh hit us in a variety of ways. And we need to know about the test of temptation. Joseph passed it. What about us? What about us? What about all these works of the flesh? Are we passing the test of temptation? The third test that Joseph encountered was a test of trials. And oh, did he have trials. He had lots of trials. You often look and you might see a, a, a blurb about Joseph and the title might be, well, from pit to palace. And that, he did start off in a pit, didn't he? You remember how his brothers, Joseph, God gave Joseph the gift of interpretation, I guess, and the gift of dreams. He gave Joseph dreams and interpretation with these dreams. And, and God wanted Joseph to reveal 
what he was showing him and Joseph did and his brothers became extremely angry, extremely jealous. And at one point they threw him in a pit, Genesis 37, threw him in a pit. But he didn't stay in that pit. They, they began to think, well, let's not, let's not shed his blood. Reuben was one of them and said, don't, don't shed his blood. So they got him up out of the pit and they found a band of Ishmaelites and they sold him to the Ishmaelites. And from the Ishmaelites, he ended up in, in Potiphar's house. So look at his trials here. He's, he's got the pit, okay, and then he's got Potiphar's house. And then with the encounter with Potiphar's wife, she became angry that Joseph refused her. And so she made up an accusation that Joseph was actually coming after her and her husband believed it. And in his fit of anger, he threw Joseph into the prison. So Joseph now has trials. He's got the pit. He's got Potiphar's house. And now he's in prison of all places. Down there in the prison was this, this chief butler and baker. And they had dreams. And Joseph interpreted their dreams for them. And, and the butler, the cupbearer, he was able to be restored to his position near the king. But he forgot about Joseph. Genesis 40 end of Genesis 40, beginning of Genesis 40, he forgot about Joseph for two more years. Can you imagine? Did Joseph deserve to be in that prison? He did not at all. Even, even a trace, there wasn't a trace of guilt. There was, there was no reason, absolutely no reason for Joseph to be in that prison. But that butler forgot about him. Joseph Later on, Joseph would have to face his perpetrators, that is, his own brothers. His own brother, Joseph, later on in Genesis 42 and 43, his brothers have to come to Egypt because of the famine, and they'll end up appearing right before Joseph, and Joseph will have to face his perpetrators. Look at his trials from the pit to Potiphar's house to prison and then prison again, staying in prison. Now he's having to face his perpetrators. He had trials. He stood the test of trials. Now, I want us to see the emotional pain and the physical pain of his trials. And then we'll move on quickly. In Genesis, in chapters 41, 42, and 43, we'll pick up on some of his emotional pain. In Genesis chapter 42, down around verse 20, Joseph's brothers now have come to try to buy some food in, in the time of the famine. And um, they were being asked, they were being detained, and they were feeling guilty. Notice verse 21. They said to one another, Joseph's brothers said to one another, in truth, we are guilty. Now, it was easy for them to throw him into the pit and, set, and then, and then uh, sell him to that band of Ishmaelites, but their conscience did not let that go. That's, that's what happens sometimes when we sin. Oh, in just a short time, you'll do something. It doesn't take long to do that something, but the guilt of that will stay with you and stay with you. Here they are. Okay, it's been several years now, right? It's been several years. 
Joseph is now 17 or 30 years old and plus in several years, but they're still holding on to that guilt. All right, verse 21, Genesis 42. In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul. Notice this carefully, please. We saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. And now this is why this distress has come upon us. But notice that. When did this happen? When was it that Joseph was begging them and they would not listen? Think about the emotional pain that Joseph went through. Was it when they threw him in the pit that he, he yelled up out of the pit, please don't leave me here, don't do this guys, don't do this guys, don't do this, and yet they would not listen? Or was it when they, they jerked him up out of the pit and sold him to that band of Ishmaelites and Joseph maybe as he was being carried away, he was looking back saying, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why, are you, why am I being, please don't do this. What about dad? What about, what, what about all the years? What about all the years? What about those years we've spent together? No, and they heard him begging and they would not listen. And then the physical pain of Joseph. Turn over in Psalm 105 with me right quick. Psalm 105. Does Psalm 105 talk about Joseph? It does. In a recounting of history here in Psalm 105, about verse 16, 17, Psalm 105. Verse 17, he had sent a man ahead of them. He had sent a man ahead of them. And who was this man? Joseph, verse 17, who was sold as a slave. Notice verse 18. Joseph's feet were hurt with fetters. And his neck was put in a collar of iron. All right, so if you write in the margin of your Bibles, go back to Genesis 39, 20, when, Jesus, when Joseph is, is first put into prison. And write down in your margin, Genesis 39, 20, write down Psalm 105, 17 and 18, and, you'll all, and then also cross Christ the, the verses the other way. And you'll always have it recorded there in your Bible that Joseph endured physical pain. Emotional and physical pain. But he passed the test of trials. And what about you and me? Do our trials even begin to compare to this that Joseph endured? And we are sure that Joseph, in his faith, he grew in his trials. And that's what the Bible encourages. Such as Romans 5 and verse 3 says, Paul says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope allows us not to ever be ashamed. Helps us to grow. James 1 verse 2, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials knowing this that the trying of your faith works patience it works endurance but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and entire lacking in nothing and then the final test i want to mention to you this morning is the test of trust the test of trust this is our theology here this is the 
this is, this is a test. We pass this test, we pass all the other tests. Okay. I'm talking about faith here. I'm talking about trust in the sense of faith. Okay. Proverbs 3, as you know, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of, your, all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And then it says this, In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your steps. He will direct your path. He will direct your steps. If in all your ways acknowledge Him. Joseph fulfills Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 to a T. To a T. All I want to do is let you read it for yourself from the very mouth of Joseph. Just a few verses, okay? So let's start in Genesis 39 when Joseph is facing, he is facing Potiphar's wife and all those temptations. Okay, what does he say? Well, in Genesis 39, he says, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Verses 9 and 10. Genesis 39, 9 and 10. Remember, to trust the Lord in all your ways, acknowledge Him. There He is acknowledging God. I can't do this sin because I don't want to sin against God. Okay? And then, when you come over to chapter 40, and both the cupbearer and the baker have their dreams... And Joseph notices that their faces are perplexed. Okay. Notice what he says in verse number 8 of Genesis 40. They said to him, We have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. In all his ways, he acknowledged God. In Genesis 41 now, the cupbearer has, has decided to remember Joseph because Pharaoh has had some dreams. And so Joseph is brought before Pharaoh. And notice what Joseph says to Pharaoh. Verse 16, Genesis 41. Joseph answered Pharaoh and said, It is not in me. I love this. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. He says the same thing in verse 25 and again in verse 28. What does he have to say to Pharaoh? He says, God will interpret your dream. And then skipping all the way over to Genesis 45, you recall as Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, Beginning in verse 5, Genesis 45. And now do not be distressed, Joseph says to his brothers. Don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it's not you who sent me here, uh, but God. And then follow that up with Joseph encouraging his brothers once again. Genesis 50 and verse 20, verse 19. When the brothers were afraid that Joseph now that Jacob has passed on, 
They were afraid now Joseph would, would become more haughty, he would become vengeful, and perhaps strike out and punish his brothers. Look what Joseph says here in Genesis 50, verse 19. He says, Do not fear, for I, am I in the place of God? Now, a lot of people go there. A lot of people put themselves in the place of God. But not Joseph. Verse 20 he says, as for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about many people that should be kept alive as they are today. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Do we pass the theology test? Do we pass the trust test? If we pass this test, then we will be able to pass the test of time, the test of trials, the test of temptations. But we must acknowledge him. Okay. That means that in everything that we say and do, in any decision that we make, in any particular relationship we have, we are first and foremost, we are serving God. We are loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is center of everything that we do. In all of our ways, we acknowledge him. Someone has said, if I work to where I can place something in my own hands, then that will eventually disappear. What I place in my own hands will eventually disappear. But what I place in the hand of God remains forever. That's what Joseph did. He passed He passed this test. I don't know how he did it. I ain't there. I can read it, but taking it from Genesis into 2022 and 23 is another story. But it is the ultimate test. Am I going to pass the trust test? Am I going to put it in the hands of God? Or am I going to remain weak in faith like so many of us do? The four tests of life, we see them in Joseph's life, the test of time, test of temptation, the test of trials, and the ultimate test of trust. No one can know, none of us sitting here can look at each other and know how well we're doing with these tests. But there is one who does know, and he's the one who invites us to come to him. If you're ready, to become a Christian, put your trust in the Lord, obey Him, but obey the gospel, submit to Him, allow the Lord to wash away your sins through the blood of His Son. If you're ready to repent of your sins and come and be immersed in water, if you're ready to come back home to Him, are you finally ready this morning? Are you finally ready? Are you ready yet to put your trust in the Lord? Are you ready? Let's make that known right now as we stand and as we sing.